Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast. A real look at single parenting, how to navigate the ups and downs of life with kids on your own while keeping sane. We cover all manner of subjects from domestic violence, dealing with childhood trauma, through to fussy eaters and how to help your kids become resilient. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. Hey everyone, the network link between Melbourne and Japan for this week's interview was a bit rubbish. So there are parts in this interview that slow down and get a bit Dalek-y. Apologies, discuss it with the network internet providers here in Australia, that's what I'm going to say. Come on, Uncle Dan, get it sorted. Anyway, hope you enjoy this week's episode. Thanks a lot for listening. This week's guest is a Canadian educator, parent and coach residing in Japan. During a rich career in education spanning four decades, she has been dedicated to empowering children. During a rich career in education spanning four decades, she has been dedicated to empowering children, parents and teachers to be their best and to do their best. A self-confessed nomad, she has experienced a variety of countries, cultures, both as a teacher and a school leader. And her perspective of the critical role parents play in the life of a child has deeply impacted her mission. She has been on a mission for almost 25 years to understand and then share with others the emotional world of boys and the pressures society places on them. The discord between what's expected and how boys really feel often results in them shutting down their true selves and resorting to misbehavior, rebellion and depression. In the last two years, she has created a business, sunhoodcoaching.com, published five online courses, established an online community for parents raising boys called the Sunhood Society Membership. She's also published a book and is a co-author and is co-authoring another and has used social media to share her knowledge of boys. Hi, welcome. Welcome, Catherine Ima Bayashi. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, no, look, I can't wait. I can't wait to talk to you about bringing up these boys because I have a boy it's a mystery uh he's a mystery he's six nearly seven going on 56 and um sometimes I don't understand what he's going on about because um I'm a girl yeah so yeah I have a completely my brain works in a completely different way days I think um so look tell us a little bit about how you got about you and how you got to help parents of boys. Okay. Um, well, I'm from Canada and my career uh, has been education, mainly in early years and elementary. So um, by the time I was almost 30, I was searching for something. I'd gone from the east coast of Canada to the west coast of Canada, various uh, jobs along the way. Wow. And I didn't know what I was going to do next. I'd been there for six years, and I just, you know, the 30-year-old crisis, I guess. 
and I read a book out of the I'm having a 50-year-old one, so don't worry. I think they're repetitive, <laughs> maybe, maybe decades. Oh, every 10 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but I read a book. I picked up a book, and it was uh, James Clavel's Shogun. And then I read his whole series. And, like, the book itself fascinated me for some reason. And there was something that just, you know, touched my soul, you know, basically. And I knew... By the time I finished that book, that I had to move to Japan. Um, wow. I had no interest or knowledge or experience with anything in the Asian cultures and nothing with Japan. Like, it just was not in my radar at all. So, so, so what was in the book that actually thought made you think, right, that's it, I've got to go? It's just the way it talked to me. It wasn't modern day, like it was historical. So it wasn't so oh, much okay. the content, it was the, the feeling that I took from the book. I can't explain it any more oh, than wow. I think it was just, you know, put in my hands to put me in the direction that I was supposed to, the path that I was, you know, meant to walk down. So, and I uh, followed that intuitive feeling and within a matter of three months, actually, I packed up and uh, moved to Japan, didn't know a soul. I did get a job first. I wasn't quite brave enough to uh, do that. But I didn't know anybody. I didn't know the language. I didn't know the culture. I couldn't read. I couldn't write. I couldn't speak. Wow. And it was... Uh, and Japan is not the most easiest of languages to, oh, like... Not at all. Learn. No. It's like Chinese, isn't it? Well, it's not like Chinese, but with the tonations and things yeah, like that. It's it's difficult. It's it's really difficult. But it what what that started me on this path, and I think you know when you ask how I got to what I'm doing today and, and why I'm doing it and why there's this passion and this drive, to me it's all um, a whole circle of events that. Um, there, it, it, fate. I mean, it kind of sounds mm -hmm. really woo-woo, but uh, it's not. And so I came to Japan and, oh, I don't know, maybe after seven years or down the road anyway, I met, uh, I met a man and uh, we were friends for about five years first and then started. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but because I wasn't interested in, you know, anything permanent. Um, I was never having children. Um, I, w I was a very independent, you know, I was, grew up doing the women's lib. Um, I was having a good time. And I loved my job. Like, I, I loved that. And I loved children, but I always thought I'll adopt. And so uh, I actually took steps not to have children. So when I came, when, when I started this relationship with um, my current husband, uh, I was only, it was going to be my last year in Japan. And I had gone through, I wanted to go back to Canada, I wanted to go back to university, I wanted to get into counseling, I had it all planned out, like everything. And something was telling you you needed to stay. Well, for that whole year, every possible thing that could go wrong with that application and that plan went wrong. Wow. Every single thing. Money I sent, applications, deadlines, 
it, like there was nothing. It was just really quite strange. So at the very end, I was right up to like it was the last week before school finished, and I had given my notice. Uh, I was waiting to get that final acceptance from school so that I could turn off my electricity and gas and all that stuff. And I got the last notice saying, you've missed this critical deadline. I'm sorry, but your application is not going to be considered for the following academic year. And no. it was like, you know, and okay, so also during this year, my, I was having a relationship with my current husband, and he continuously said, we will get married, we will have children. And I continuously said, we will not get married, we will not have children, I'm going back to Canada, I can't have children, but this is going to be a great year, and that's going to be it. Um, oh my God. So at the very end, when I was supposed to be going back to Canada, and I got this last thing, and I called my good friend, and I said, I don't know what's going on. Like, it's just, it's crazy how many things, how many obstacles are in this. And she very kind of lightly said, well, maybe you're supposed to marry him, the guy that you're with. Wow. And I thought about it for a moment, and I thought, well, maybe I am. So I called him at work, and I said, well, were you serious about all those times you asked me to get married? And he kind of said, well, yes. And I said, well, all right, then I'll, I'll call my parents and ask them if they can set up a, a wedding for this summer and we'll get married. And it was just, <laughs> and I. Oh dear, he took on a lot with you, didn't he? He took on a lot because you're like that. No, I'm not marrying you. No, 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 no. All the time you dated. And then suddenly you go, oh, actually. Yeah, I do want to marry you, well, and you're still married, so. I, I know. It, well, it, that just tells me. He, he knew something I yeah. didn't know, and yeah. it all was right, because if I was thinking about marriage, I don't think that I would have um, had such a good year with him, because sometimes I think as women especially, we tend to look so much at the future that we forget to really enjoy the present, so we don't accept everything we don't give everything so i think mm. that was one of the pluses so we did we got married and um and i asked for my job back at the school got my job back it was like you know it's just this little hiccup that went into the plans um and he also truly believed that uh we would have children Wow. It was like, oh my God, this guy is incredible, but uh, it's not happening. Like I had less than a you know zero percent chance of being able to uh, have a child to conceive. But I agreed to go and see a specialist because he felt, uh, you know, he, he it was important to him. So I respected that and went and had a reversal surgery. Um, magically, like within you know the first. After healing, well, I, I had to get out of the hospital a little bit early to catch the plane to go home and get married. And then we came back and uh, I had to wait a month to get off some other medication. And then we tried to conceive and the first time that that window wow. was open, this little guy jumped in. So he was so meant to be with us. It was just... Yeah. Uh, and... 
Same with my same with my little man. My little man, um, we had a discussion and a conversation around me getting pregnant because I was 43 at the mm-hmm. time. And I thought, God, so old. They're probably like grapes, like <laughs> not like grapes, like raisins. They're all shriveled up and stuff and they won't actually produce a child and I'll need help and all of this stuff. And then three weeks, three weeks later I was pregnant yeah. and I'm like, Wow. Okay. So, you know, well, I think this sometimes, kid is so meant to be. Exactly. And I think when you open that door, if it is meant to be, if you are on the right path, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of, of, you know, paying attention to the signs, I guess. So that's how this whole thing started with boys. And, um, because you had a boy. Because I had a because boy. Because you had a little man. But I actually thought initially that, again, I was an older mom too. I was getting close to 40. So, and I had had a full career, especially in early years. So I thought, hey, I kind of have this kid thing down pat. So how much different can it be to have your own? That was very naive at me. <laughs> you know, it was just, there is no comparison. But No. Um I still, it was within those first three years, I still was learning uh, because I love to learn. And so I was just learning. And there was a lot about raising children and not so much about raising boys, but it kind of all was falling into the same basket. But then um, it was when he was about three and I took him, at that time I was teaching upper elementary and it was on a Saturday, and my husband at that time worked Saturdays. So my little guy and I went out to the creek to go fishing. He wanted to go fishing. So little plastic fishing rod and beautiful sunny day. And it was just a little, you know, road. It wasn't completely isolated, but it was this little path going down mm-hmm. a little bit off the road. In Japan, very safe country. I wasn't concerned at all, like zero. And um, while we were sitting there having fun, I looked up the path and I saw five or six males coming down. And, uh, you know, not full grown males, but males. And as they were coming down, there was something so deep and so guttural uh, of a feeling. And it was like, oh, my God, it's a gang. And so, you know. I've got to protect my son. I've got to, you know, you know what? It was panic and fear and raw. And and so instant, like there was no thinking. Like it was just total reaction, that whole flight and fight and flight thing, the stress hormone. And so that was my reaction. And then as they got closer, it was kind of... I could feel that there was no threat going on there. And inevitably, these were the same kids that age that I was teaching. Um, yeah. Their bodies are a little bit bigger. They're in you know, grade five and six. But, you know, inside they're still little boys. I knew that. So of all people, I should not have been the kind of person that had that, you know, you know revulsion and, and fear um, simply because they were male. So anyway, the whole experience was a lovely experience. And we hung out for the afternoon, great kids as usual. But that night when I went home, I couldn't let it go. And I kept thinking, you know, where'd that come from? Why did I feel that way? And that was one thought. But then what the, the 
pivotal point for me was, was thinking, so my little guy is three now in, you know, nine years, 10 years, is he going to be going fishing down that creek lane? And some other, you know, mom of a little boy, is she going to look at him and be afraid simply because he's a boy? And that just seems so wrong to me. It was like, there's something, there's something, I'm missing something here, and I'm going to dig as deep as I can. And that's when it all started. And I'm still doing it. Wow. Wow. So from that moment, you were like, right, I'm going to start to educate myself around boys, their mentality, the challenges that they face, and then try and help parents to actually um, help their kids, help their boys. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So look, um, what, how are boys different from girls then? I mean, I have a boy and I have two stepdaughters, so I sort of know the stepdaughters were so much easier when they were younger, mm-hmm. but like, and my son is so full of energy and crazy um, that I know that if I don't get him out of the house at least like once a day and get him doing energetic stuff, then he's going to drive me bonkers yeah. Yeah. all day. Whereas the girls would just sit and colour and just yeah. sit and do play and they would just be more than happy in the house playing, whereas boys, oh my god, all that energy. So, um, what? What is? is and that's just one difference, right? So, like, are they, are they really that different? And are there similarities as well? I've just thrown two questions at you there. So sorry. <laughs> but no, it's it's um there there's a few things with that, and maybe the first thing that I'll say is that um, as women we're usually the first caregivers for our boys. And when we are looking at our boys, we're just seeing them as, as you know, babies or toddlers or little boys growing up. We're not, we're thinking that, you know, they, they probably think the same, we're all human. They probably think the same, they, you know, communicate the same, but that's where we go really wrong. And because we're making those assumptions, we're having expectations that are unrealistic and, and in my opinion, disrespectful because we're not recognizing that there are differences. And the differences are fine. It's just to be aware of them and then work together on them. One is not better or worse than another. We're just, we're different. But I think as women, we tend to think everyone, you know, thinks the same as we do. And, and that's, yeah. that's one of the critical points. So th- there are some physical things that are different. Like there, and the beautiful thing um, is that, like when I started this, that was, you know, in the mid-90s when I started reading things and, and learning more about this. And things have changed as far as the research goes. And they're finding more, they're being able to take the brain scans, they're being able to find more scientific information that backs up some of the things. I am not, um, you know, I I don't uh, pull out facts and figures in the scientific data. And if people want that, they can go someplace. But I can give a ballpark thing. And I know, like, um, there are brain differences. They're not as wide as it used to be thought like the when it was the time like men from Venus Venus or or Mars and yeah wherever they were from but I know they were from a different planet to us yeah definitely 
but it's I think a, they still are. <laughs> well, in some ways, but you know, there's something there too. So one of the one of the differences that influences things like communication and and um, processing, thinking processing, is connected with the amount of gray matter and the white matter in our brains. So the males have about six and a half percent more gray matter, and women have about ten percent more white matter, and that's wow. all connected with different. Like you can research it and find there's so much information right now, um, but it ha it helps you understand how how communication is different, how the thinking is different, and it just. You know, when you have that understanding, then you look for different ways to communicate and to, yeah. you know, so some of that with the brain is just very, um, you know, like women tend to be very capable at multitasking. Brain, uh, men are, Isn't that a myth? I thought that was a myth. I would keep getting told it's a myth, but. <laughs> no, no that's, that's part of our brain connections and, and yeah. the the language capacity, that part of our brain works differently than for males. So males are much more able to totally focus on one thing, like totally and, and really wonderfully. And we can do a million and one things at a time. Um, yeah. With hearing, there's uh, physical differences with hearing and it's got to do with the um, sound level. So it's, oh. it's what was it, for boys, the, the comfortable level for speech is 42 dec decibels. So that also can be looked up. And for girls, it's 36. So what that boils down to. So is it, so sorry, is it that, sorry to interrupt you, is it, this, is it that the lower decibels is the higher the voice? It's the sound. Oh, so, for okay. example, if if I am a um, if I'm a female teacher, and I have some um, children sitting in front of me, if I'm talking in a normal okay, I'll I'll tell you exactly what it usually looks like. Is that if they're all sitting on the floor, there's a bunch of girls right in front, and the boys are all in the back. Like this is that's just the way it usually is. So the little girls in the front, they hear my voice as a very pleasant, you know, they, they can receive it well. The little guys in the back, they don't hear me as clearly because I am not speaking at the same, uh, actually, I think it's the, the volume. Oh, okay. Is it a bit like the Charlie Brown teacher that goes, wah, 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 yeah, well, Is it a bit like Charlie Brown understanding his teacher as such? It could be because if, they, you know, if they have to really work to stay focused and listen, you know, mm. that's not going to last very long. So that's, they're going to either be distracted to other things or they're going to start to doodle or just, you know, it's, it, but it's in the same light. Uh, you can have a male teacher in, and a female student will be sitting right in the very front and he talks about something, like maybe just blurt something out, and she interprets that as shouting and resists that somewhat. Like those, It's a little bit exaggerate what I'm saying, but there's enough of a difference that it affects how we communicate and how we 
can, can really hear each other. The hearing is, it's different. It is different between boys and wow, girls. Wow, I didn't know that. Wow. Okay, so in a way, I suppose being female, being a single mom, and I suppose single dads with their daughters, like the communication, you have to, have to be a lot more careful with your communication because you're, you're pitching it at the wrong level as such, potentially, as in decibel level, not as yeah. in level yeah. level, as in what you're talking well, about. Well, and like as, as a female, they're really more sensitive to sound. And uh, boys are more tolerant to having, you know, they can have the background going and you would be sure they're not listening to you, but they're still listening to you. They're okay with that background oh my stuff. God. The girls aren't. Yeah. No, my son can be playing, having the TV on or music on or whatever, and I'll be talking to my mum in the UK on FaceTime, and he'll go, I heard that, yeah. mum. Yeah. <laughs> and, they like, get, yeah. and he's just yeah. radars on yeah, all the time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah, and I don't know if it's like, I, I know as a mum, I can, I can, cut out sound a lot easier because if kids are out and about playing or you've got a, a you know um a baby crying well I can't say baby crying because it's not a baby but like you know you've got things yeah. going on you can sort of drag you can cut that out I don't know and I don't know if men can I'm not sure if boys can but like as a woman I can just go okay I can cut that out and I can just focus on what I'm doing without it distracting. I think part of that is because we are very good at multitasking so we know uh, if that sound is a dangerous sound that we need to pay attention to or it's just background sound and so if that doesn't need to be where our attention goes we can let that go that's what uh, I would interpret that as. yeah no fair enough fair enough so okay so then how do we how do we communicate to these awesome, fantastic, crazy, full of energy little boys? Well, then? Like, how do we, as a mum, how do we get them to understand? And I suppose it's all different. I suppose you communicate differently at different stages as well, because teenagers would be so mm -hmm. different to, you know, my son's level to toddlers, I suppose. But I think the first thing is is on us. The first thing is for us mm. to to learn more, to be aware of different things and, and, um, and not expect it to be the same as it would be if he was a girl. So, you know, there's a lot of parents that um, with communication and with discipline and with hearing, um, I, I explain to them, like, often what happens is that, you know, there will be something like your son maybe will be in the, in his room, um, playing with the Lego, playing with the blocks or something. You're in the kitchen, you've made dinner, and um, you're, you've got everything ready. And just before you're ready to do it, because you know to give him, <clears throat> excuse me, an advancement. But, so you, but you call out and you say, uh, Johnny, come on in for, for dinner. Supper's on the table. And there's no response. And you continue doing what you're doing. You're almost ready to go again. You call out again a little bit louder. Johnny, it's time to come for, for dinner. Supper's on the table. And you finish up what you're doing because we multitask and we're always doing a million and one things. And he doesn't come again. So your, your annoyance has risen considerably. You call out one last time. And it's a little bit louder. 
you finish the last things, he's still not there. You stomp off to his wow. room. Your little yep. <laughs> my house. most houses. Your little guy, you, you go to the doorway, your little guy is sitting there having a grand time. And you, you know, you get the hands on the hips and you say, look, if you can't come when I call you, that's it. No TV tonight or whatever that consequence is. And your little guy turns around with these big eyes and has not one clue why you were so upset. Not wow. one. So two things are, okay, so then look at it a different way. If that mom recognized that there's a good possibility her son is totally focused, when he's totally focused on something, he is your background noise. You're not something he needs to pay any attention to. And then you add into it that your voice is not at the level that automatically connects with his. So he's not getting that either. So if, like most of us, we'll call out once because it saves us time. If he didn't answer that first time and the mom walked into the room, got down on the floor or something, put a hand on his shoulder, got some kind of contact going so that you know he knows you're there and you're going to talk to him. And then you just say, it's supper time, come on out. Nine times out of 10, he'll, he'll just pop up, you know, here we go, and no problem. But if we're not aware of those differences, then, you know, he's confused, he's upset, he feels bad that you're angry for something, but he doesn't really get why you're angry. And it's just a vicious circle that's unnecessary. Yeah, well, while you were talking all about that, I'm thinking about my son and I'm, do boys actually um, work better with a routine as such? Because um, I know in the morning I'll let him get up, um, I make his breakfast, going to train him to make his own soon but uh, I make his breakfast put it down on the table he comes through he'll sit and while I'm doing other bits and pieces he'll sit watch iPad and eat his breakfast and stuff and I've sort of tried <laughs> fairly bad but I've sort of trained him now to sort of go right after breakfast can you get dressed um and then um he continues doing whatever he's doing but now I don't need to ask him because he knows breakfast then get dressed where and it did take a few months I have to say but like but it's the same routine right that routine doesn't change and then after break after getting ready it's brush your teeth and then we go to school sort of thing we do like so it's in that sort of order but um do they work better with a routine like that it's like where they know it's the same or like I don't know is that the same with girls who knows well I think uh especially for boys they, the style, the parenting style that works really well with them is a parent who is uh, fair and firm mm -hmm. and consistent. So what you just described is that you're fairly firm in saying this is, you know, you go through the process so that it becomes a habit and he understands clearly what the expectation is. Yeah. And, but the other, the really key thing there is that you are always consistent. So over time, he knows every time she said this, this is what she means. This is what I'm going to do. 
I sometimes think he does it because he goes, oh, she's going to moan at me if I'm not dressed after my breakfast, <laughs> so I'm just going to get dressed for an easy life, which might be, I mean, I haven't asked him, but that might be the reason why he does it. But, like, there's been times where I've come through and thought, right, I'll give him five minutes and I'll go and G him up again. And um, I've gone through and I've gone, wow. Oh, he's like, I'm getting dressed, Mum. And I'm like, okay. Am I that much of an ogre that you're, like, going, right, here we go. But yeah, I. Okay. But so, so being firm like that is is it it works well because yeah you know it creates this environment where they understand what the expectation is, and so they don't have to be guessing on on you know, and when you're consistent, it means that it's clear. So they want to know what the rules are. They want to know that it's fair, that that it's going to be consistent and. And often they, you know, also need to know what the consequences are if they choose not to stay well, within. no iPad, basically. That's quite straightforward, yeah. you know, and, um, yeah. And and who knows? Blooming iPads. They weren't around in my day, but anyway. So what do our boys need anything apart from, like, obviously the clear instructions um, and being firm with them, like, what do we do with them emotionally? Because I'm just, my biggest concern is, I mean, my little man, I keep calling him little man, he's not a little man, he's nearly up to my shoulder. Um, but my kid, the emotional challenges that he finds when he's at school and how... Um, and I find it challenging around, well, how do I make my son emotionally engaged um, and in touch with his feelings, right? And even when I say it, I go, oh, feelings. But, <laughs> um, but like in touch with what he's feeling, angry, frustrated and all of that stuff. Um, but then also making him resilient, emotionally resilient, right, to the other challenges he's got at school. So, you know, I mean, he's got challenges with, um, oh, shame. He said that somebody was hitting him at school and they hit him five times and he didn't like it. And how, do we, how does he stop him, right? And I'm like, right, okay, what did you try? What has other people tried? What has other people tried that has worked and stopped this child from hitting you sort of thing? Um, or hitting them and so we sort of worked through the problem that way but like how do I how do I help him with all of these emotions sorry and I've bombarded you with a lot no, there. That, well then there's so many different things there so you know okay so one of the things is is connect okay no I'll go right to the school part of it okay do the deal with the school thing and then we'll deal with school is uh, although there have been uh, some changes, some improvement, the educational system is so slow at making oh. real change. So the system is geared for female learners. So, wow. it, well, it is. I mean, teachers love having the little girls because they like to sit there, they like to listen, they like to draw things. They play school when they go home. And they are developmentally up to two years ahead of, of boys. So you have these, especially when you're in these the early years and the early elementary years, especially, 
you have these little guys who naturally need to move their bodies. They need to be really active. They learn best when they're doing something, when they're, they're involved in high motor skills that are required for you know, holding your pencil right and doing all those things. So that, you take that part that the system really isn't geared for their kind of learning. They're in classes that are um, put together based on age, but girls and boys are developmentally different at the same age. And then you add on to that, that in those younger school years, usually it's the female teachers. We're lucky we do have some male teachers, but yeah. That little guy's of that yeah we'll get some of them in the elementary yeah. oh no most of those are female like under so at under five probably majority were female so when he was at daycare and like you know kinder and stuff like that yeah, yeah. but we have got some grade yeah. two teachers who are male which is great and stuff like that. So from my perspective as a single mum, I'm going, this is fantastic because he doesn't really have too many other male role models in his life. So um, that's a real bonus to um, to actually have that uh, element there at school. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, but again, it's understanding what the boys need. And I don't think that that is as clear. So from a school perspective, sitting here listening to what you were saying, is it more advantageous to send your child to a single sex school? So uh, to a boy's school or a girl's school? Um, and uh, like, I'm, I have no opinions on this. My view, <laughs> my only, oh, look, I do have one opinion on it. And my one opinion is I send my son to a mixed school so he actually understands how to interact with girls. Yeah. But I'm not sure he does anyway but like at least he has a interaction now whether he goes to a all boys school when he gets to high school because i need him to then focus on educational stuff and not the girls stuff but that's maybe not going to matter anyway that'll probably that'll happen whatever happens but yeah well there's a whole bunch of research on both sides saying that it's a good thing oh, it's uh, not a good thing um having a combination which is something i really quite like where you have certain at certain grade levels, maybe some subjects that are single sex. Um, and there, you know, for the single sex schools, there are some schools that do it an awful lot better than others. There are some that have like uh, next door, um, the other sex school so that they can still provide opportunities for social engagement. So there's a whole variety of, of opportunities, I guess. So. Yeah, I don't know so much about that. Like, it's so it's sort of a mixed view from a from the research anyway. Yes. That it's like there are, there are advantages and there are disadvantages basically in both. So, and I think yeah. just like just like anything else, you have to weigh some of the pros and cons based on, you know, if you think this school is is a really good choice, then you need to go to that school and make sure, you know, your interview time and research time yeah. and make sure that your values and their values line up. So you might have yeah. a prestigious um, 
boys' school, but their values don't match your values. And so then it's not yeah. the right match for you. So it is so, you know, individualized. It's hard to give, you know, some kind of a blanket. Oh, yeah, no. And like everyone's, you know, I mean, I have views about private schools and public schools. Um, we have a lot of private schools where you pay for tuition here uh, for your child to go to school. And um, I see the advantage with all the facilities and all the opportunities that are there. But I also see the disadvantages of putting extra pressure on children that potentially if you're paying 30,000 a year for them to go to school um, and they're not doing particularly very well, is extra pressure on top of them that they don't maybe need yeah. to have. But then some kids thrive at it. So it is, it's like you say, it's like going and having your own look around and investigation. So yeah, no, that's fair enough. Yeah. So, okay. So we sort of got off the subject a bit there, but anyway, um, what, um, so how do we make, can, can I how do we help our Abby kids? So, sorry, yeah. there's, just, there's one thing that I kept meaning to get back to because it touches on everything that we've talked about. And it's this concept of the, the boy code, or that's what it was called before. Sometimes now it's called the man box. But it basically that is the, um, the rules that society says on how uh, a male should behave and how they should feel. So when you're looking at, especially at younger boys, and as they're starting through the educational system, they are, and it, sometimes it happens within families as well, depending on what your own biases are, what your own gender biases, what your stereo, you know, biases are, what how you have been raised or how you view men yourself will, will affect how you parent often. So this code tells little boy long and stoic. Uh, it's that phrase, boys will be boys. And so that says some behavior is okay. Anything that is rough or aggressive or physical, that's just boys. That's the way boys are. Um, it, it's, you know, that the boy code says that well from the mom so that they're not considered to be sissies or you know mama's boys or that kind of a, um, a thing uh, little boy uh, boys males shouldn't show their vulnerable emotions and so that's when you know people say things like you know don't cry you know boys don't cry or suck it up buttercup you know those kind of things yeah. so what happens yeah. is that you get these males who start out as, as these pure, beautiful, individual beings. And they keep going through and they keep running into situations where what they're truly feeling inside and what is acceptable for them to show there becomes a bigger and bigger gap. So they start to learn that, okay, if I fall down and I hurt myself, I better not cry because then so-and-so is going to make fun of me and call me a girl and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So he has to put on some kind of a mask. And each time that he realizes that something that is deep and vulnerable for him and true, it's authentic, those feelings, those emotions, but it's not okay to show them in the outer world then he has to put on more masks. And the more masks that get put on, eventually that male is going to become more hardened because they're, they're, 
pushing down all of their, you know, their, their real self and adapting to what the expectations are from others. And that affects everything. Yeah, I'm amazed at how young. I mean, my son is grade one, so it's he's six. Yeah. And um, I'm amazed at how much that's already going on, Absolutely. how much yeah. we have stereotyped our kids yeah. into girls doing this and boys doing that. And, um, you know, you can't do, you know, it's all roughy-tufty with yeah. the boys. Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, you can't play with girls and all of this stuff. And it's yeah. it's all happening. And I'm like... But they're six. Well, exactly. how how are we how are we still stereotyping our kids into these you know pigeonholes? Because it just doesn't help us. Well, not at all, and it doesn't help. You know, like there's the. It's like there was something I had read, and it was kind of like humanity is like a a bird, a big bird, and hu humankind. So you have the one wing that's the female and one that is the male. And until both of them are free to really have their own yeah. wingspan and fly, it's not going to be smooth. So, you know, we've gone through, you know, a few decades of women becoming more empowered and, you know, taking on more uh, independence, I guess. It was still a long way to go, but it has come a long way since, you know, the 60s. So they're, they're, their wing is doing pretty good that, you know, they're getting there. But the other side, it's almost the opposite that's happened. The, the way that the world has changed for males isn't bringing them up. It's really putting them down. Like when you have, um, you know, messages about, you know, toxic masculinity and, and you have media and music that is, you know, degrading males, especially in relationships. But when you think of those and you think of your son and when he is hearing those messages, you know, yeah. it's just, it's not right. Yeah, no, it isn't. It isn't. And like, well, how do we, how do we help them? to um be how do we help them to get in contact with all of that emotional stuff without um because it's difficult because it is there and it's still there but how do we as parents try and help our kids to handle those emotions i mean i see i see boys getting angry and lashing out because and, and maybe it's because their brains are because they're so angry, their their brain, and I know mine does it when I get angry, and I'm a girl, right? But or a woman, but like they get so angry that their brain doesn't think, so they're sort of like in a fuzz, brain fuzz, and so that how do we help them to deal with their brain fuzz? Well, I don't know that I would really agree with the brain fuzz, but what what I do think is that oh, okay, um, <laughs> that's my I girl that explanation. <laughs> Yeah, from a very young age, like there, there's quite a bit there trying in, you know, in the research that is saying, yes, maybe there are some, um, some physiological differences between the two. But some of the things that are issues later on perhaps can be really changed if how our boys are raised changes. So if from a very young age, 
we made that a focus. We focused on emotional literacy. We helped them to, to understand, oh, that face means that, and oh, what, maybe something happened, this happened, and maybe that's why. Or, and we approach emotions and emotional literacy intentionally so that their range of emotions and understanding and being able to articulate it grows. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is, is when we are not aware male, then we look at outbursts and, you know, the aggression as something, you know, maybe that's the boys will be boys thing. But perhaps it's really because they are struggling so deeply inside because of the, you know, the dichotomy between what they really are and what they're being told how they have to be. Hey, who's, do you think the schools play a role in that as well as us as parents then to help them come out of their box? Absolutely. All of society, yes, all of society does have a responsibility and can have an impact. But I can tell you with absolutely no doubt in my mind, after being in education for 45 years and having a son for almost 30, the power is in the family. That's, you know, you can have the most terrible experience at school, but if you have a solid, strong family, if your home is the place where he feels safe, where he can express all of his emotions, where he knows that you understand the challenges he is going through, that you are advocating for him, that will make all the difference in his world. And I suppose it's also, um, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, like it's about keeping that level emotion, right? So it's not when he comes home and says, oh, I got told off and had I've got detention for a week. It's not about going through the roof and going, oh, my God, what? Blah. But actually going, okay, well, and trying to keep your emotions as a mum who wants to murder him um, yeah. because he got detention, like trying to keep your emotions like level so that he can feel that he can tell you stuff like that and you're not going to go off the deep end so that then when it comes to the more so, important so that's stuff. When... Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. That's, but that's kind no, of no. it. Like, there's something, um, uh, a strategy, I guess, in working with boys, especially after there's been some kind of a major um, experience or big emotions have happened. And as women, if, if, if I have a really big problem with you, I want to face you directly and I want to, want to talk it out. And with boys, males, not males, um, there's something that they call a timed silence. And so say you pick up your son at, at, um, at school and he's had detention and he is just angry. Like he gets in that car, slams the door. He is just out of it. The worst thing that a parent can do is start. That's the worst thing. That little boy needs time. He, he needs time. 
So if he has the whole trip home where you don't say anything or you turn on some nice soft music or whatever, you don't make a big deal of it. He stomps into the house a little bit less, like he's not quite as angry, but he's probably still not uh, ready to talk about it. So you, you know, suggest he do something, that, you know, whether it's sit down, have a snack or whatever. And you will see his body language will tell you when he is at a point that he's really ready to talk to happen, how he feels about or his interpretation of what the situation is. is. And then as the parent, we have to uh, develop some strategies and skills in how we have that discussion so that he doesn't feel he's being interrogated or, you know, he doesn't feel any shame about what he's, he's done, that he feels he can share what went on in a, in a safe space. So it's learning how to have those kinds of uh, conversations and that style of communication. But the first big thing is not trying to have that conversation too soon. Yeah, and as women, we like to talk about stuff, don't we? Yeah. Like we talk it through. I often say to a lot of my male friends, don't stop me. I'm just trying to get it out of my body so I can sort out what I need to have done. Exactly. So it's not that I need your advice. I just need to get it out of my head because I can't sort it out if it's in my yeah. head. Um, whereas men tend to be able to sort things out in yeah. the head. I have to get it all out. <laughs> and then five yeah. minutes later, I'll go, oh, yeah, no, that's what I need to do. And that's all right. But yeah. yeah. Hey ho, us women. I don't know. I don't know. So, okay. So not we we need to basically. Um, and I must admit that one of the things I do with my son, who is six, going on fifty six, um, if he's had if he's had a bit of a stress or he's he'll go. I don't want to talk about it, mum. And I'll go okay. And I'll go. Well, look. Just let me know what you want me to do. Like I'm here when you want to talk to me about Perfect. it. So come and see me. Perfect. Um, yeah. Or I'll go. Well, how do you want me to help you? So I'll That's say like, beautiful. how do you want me to help me, but help you, buddy? Yeah. Um, and if we go, I don't, I don't. So I go, okay. Well, I'm here when you do. Yeah. So and I just leave it like that, right? That's because and, oh, let's let's hope it works when he's sixteen. But um, at the moment, it's working. Yeah, it will. It will work. Yeah. Because if you yeah. you establish really strong, uh, a really strong connection through communication in these years. It will really, really pay off when he's going through those really tough teen years. But yeah, the way that you're responding is beautiful. So does it still work? So, because that's what I was going to say. When they're teenagers and they just don't want to talk, and you're a parent and you're like, oh, you don't know anything because you're the parent and they think they know everything and they don't want to talk. Like, does it still sort of work then? Or like, how do you tackle it then? Because I, I know there's different stages um, that these kids go through and it's great for us parents because you think you've got over one stage and then you go into another one and you think, oh my God, didn't see that coming. Now I need to know a load, load more of new schools. Okay, there's, there's two things. And one of them is again about, you know, how the brain develops. So when you look at, a, so a 15 year old boy, his brain is half 
fully formed. Uh, that happens for a girl when she's about 11. The, the boy's fully formed brain, fully functioning, sorry, fully functioning brain uh, happens late, late 20s. For girls, it's usually around 22. So sometimes wow. the expectations that we have are just not, they're not appropriate. If you go into a, um, say, a, a class of 16-year-olds and you have the girls and the boys, the girls look like they're just, you know, uh, young adults. And the boys are yeah. still firing the spitballs and, you know, they're, they're still boys. And it's, it's because that's, that's what they're supposed to be doing at that age. They are not developmentally at the same place. So that's one thing about it. The other thing about teen boys, um, that's a whole other conversation, but part of the issues I think that they face is because we as a society don't have a system that recognizes when the expectation is for them to start acting more like a, a young man instead of a mm -hmm. young boy. So the whole concept of a rites of passage is something that our society is lacking. And I think it's something that um, parents who kind of jump on that bandwagon and create something or develop something or join something, I think they're giving their boys a real opportunity to face less challenges. Um, yeah, well, we used to have rites of passages, didn't we? If we like, if we go back in time before we were like having to rush off to the office and like, you know, the kids were at school and doing whatever, there were like times where the teenage boys would go off with the men and kill their first animal or, yeah. you know, spend a week in the desert somewhere Absolutely. or up a mountain or, you know, in the wilderness. Yeah. yeah finding out who they were and how they needed to survive. Um, and look, like, I I think it's a failing of our education system, not of our teachers. I love our teachers. I think they're awesome. But I think we don't actually prepare our kids, our teenagers. Maybe we do. I don't know, because my son isn't at that stage at the moment. But they didn't when I was at school, which was a long time ago, so it might have changed. But for getting out there in the real world. Because the real world, the working yeah. world, is so much different yeah. from school. Yeah. You know, you're having to save money, you're having to finance things, you're having to deal with work colleagues that potentially are at all different ages, all different views, all different challenges. Um, so then and, look and at that. Outside of the safety of this school. Exactly, but then look at that. Look at, um, so a girl, finishes say four years of university she's 22 she is starting the real world with a fully functioning brain so at least she can you know the expectations maybe are going to be more matched you have a young boy who's coming out he does not yet have a full, he won't for another seven to eight years but yet we're expecting those same things with no preparation so it's like they keep getting double whammies on things. You know, as far as like the rites of passage too, things definitely have changed historically, but still in some traditions, like bar mitzvahs and things like that, those still occur. But in general, girls always know when they have changed from being a girl 
to moving into womanhood. You have your first menstrual cycle. Everyone acknowledges it. Things change. Like it's just, it is normal. There is no such um, point for the boys. No. And so that's when you have no. boys who have to act out. They have to prove that they're a young man now. They do more risky things, you know. It's just, um, it's it's one of the areas that I think we have kind of failed and and mm. and it's not so hard to try to fix that. So potentially with our kids reaching like late, they're mid-teens, let's call it mid-teens, so 14, 15, um, it might be something that parents want to consider is doing a, a rites of passage doing because there are a lot of I mean we do have quite a few mm -hmm. I'm trying to get some of them on the podcast to talk about what they do but we do have quite a few yeah, places that people yeah. can go yeah. um, and take their, their sons yeah. particularly to talk about rites of passage to talk about things um, all boy things um, that us well, and it gives them a community. Yes. It, it gives them, uh, you know, other men at that age and stage. They the, the family is always important, but at that age and stage, they really have a need for external male mentors. So whether it's the uncle or you know it's it's the guy from the church or whoever it is. So when you have what the kind of rites of passage you're talking about, that's that creates a group of people that he connects with. That he's you know he doesn't have to go through all this stuff. Some people or some thinking is that yes you know the 15, 16 year olds is the time to do it. Others think you know younger. it's younger than yes. that. Yeah. We, I put I made one for our son when he was 13. Oh wow. And but there was no access to anything. We were living in a foreign country. It you know it was it was uh but it was something. And it was a group of, you know, eight eight close men and and uh I think I actually sit there and I look at it and I go from between the ages of 18 and 24 to a certain extent I don't know what there is out there for, for boys, right? Because yeah. school finishes, so their group yeah. of friends from school finishes. Um, sports may finish as well for them, so soccer. and Because, I mean, they, they do – there's a lot of under-18 teams, but I don't know if they don't – if they're not at the level that they want to go into adult or they're not actually, you know – um, going into professional sports environments and stuff like that, then what do they have? Then I ought, I find I feel as though they're a bit lost because Absolutely. you know what, what Absolutely. what do they do? All of the expectations are unrealistic at that age, and so I mean, so many boys at that age. That's when they really start to you know, rebel and act out. That's when the drinking drugs get out of handle. That's when the car, you know, crashes happen. That's when a lot of boys are thinking about suicide. So there, there, yeah, there definitely can be a lot more support through that time. But the more you understand all these little things make a huge difference when you understand them so that your expectations are, you know, reasonable then you can support your son better. Yeah, because you've actually, um, so you've got like five online courses around supporting 
boys yeah. and you're like you've written you've written books and things like that as well or, or co-authored books so oh. like how do how do our listeners connect in with you and, and like find out about these courses and and like find out about these books and you've got loads of knowledge on your website as well haven't you yeah on the website will anyone who's really interested in this it's a good starting point so it will give you some statistics it'll give you some stories there's a blog on there with with some you know different information um all the courses um coaching everything is on there there are links on that that take you to the social media there's one free giveaway uh, that's connected with the website. But also if you go onto the the Instagram um, page, the the link link tree that uh, opens up everything, it, it, all that stuff. I think right now, I think there's three different free giveaways there that are connected with different aspects of boys. So I would recommend, you know, anyone who's really interested and has the time Go pull these free things and just explore it a little bit and, you know, find out what resonates. Um. And go from there. So your website is www.sunhoodcoaching.com? That's right, yes. So sun as in S-O-N, hood yes. as in the hood, H-O-D-O-O-D, and then coaching.com. That's right. Cool, 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 cool. No, that's awesome. Look, Thank you for coming on the podcast and speaking to us about all of this. Boys do need, and I think in this day and age, they need just as much help as girls, if not more, because, you know, girls are getting in there and and saying, well, this is my body and I want to be able to do whatever. And and I don't see the boys getting out there. Um, There's a lot of boys who are being quiet and not actually talking about um, male suicides, teen suicides, and all of those various different things that I've covered on the podcast previously. Um, and I think they need help. I those poor too. boys, poor yeah. kids need yeah. our help. Um, maybe, um, maybe if we can help them in the younger years, it'll help them in their teen years. Oh, that's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm hoping. Um, but yeah, so look, thank you. Thank you My so pleasure. much, Catherine. Um, I've got one final question for you, though, and I'm wondering what it will be. Um, and it can't be your own book. Um, <laughs> but like, what book would you recommend to my listeners and why? Easy. Real Boys by uh, Dr. William Pollock. That wow, was the, okay. the first book that I read. He wrote it in uh, mid to late 70s. He's, he, he's with uh, Harvard Harvard. Uh, men's institute he's got the real boys book um, he's got the real boy voices which is all the interviews that he did with these males and then he's got a real boys workbook which helps the men who are raising boys uh, go through their own history so that patterns can be changed he's the one that started it all for me. His his information is just as valid now as it was before. And he is the first one that I heard that term, the boy code. Um, he is just brilliant. And wow. that would be the book. I've had three copies of that since since wow. the first time I bought it. 
Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Right. Well, I'll add a link if it's still it will still be in print. Oh it? yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah still in yeah. print. I'll add a link to um to a site to the sites where people can get it from, and we'll go from there. Cool. Okay. Well, thank look. You. Thank you so much. It's well. What is it now? It's probably mid morning in Japan. It is. Yeah, mid morning in Japan, nearly getting on for lunchtime, I would mm-hmm. imagine. That's and it, yeah. Um, yeah, you're only a few hours ahead, which is like great for me because I normally know. I'm talking to people in the States and it's like yeah. nighttime for them and morning for me and stuff. Yeah. Look, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Maybe we'll get you back and delve in a little bit more detail into some of the things we've covered. I feel we've only just got to the tip of the iceberg and there's so much more below it that we could investigate and um, and look there at. Is. I, I'm, I'm very grateful, though, that you gave me this opportunity because that's kind of what I'm just, I just want people to to help the boys like and to help parents yeah. who really want to help their boys and don't know how to. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. They're definitely complex little human beings. Yeah. Um, just like girls. I think girls get worse as they get older, though, in their teenage years from 11 yeah. upwards. Um, but They're yeah. different. They're just uh, different. They are. They, we are. Yeah. We're different. I'm quite nice. I'm quite pleased I'm a girl, <laughs> but um, I'm glad I'm not a boy. But, uh, yeah, no, you're right. It's just different yeah. challenges. And we, we need to educate our kids in the way they need to be educated, like, you know, boys and girls. So girls you know, need to be educated. Maybe it's slightly different to boys in certain subjects, like you said. Or maybe it's boys starting a year or two later. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't push my, I must admit, we do get that choice here in Australia. Uh, Do you hold your child back a year? Or do you, um, you know, let them start like earlier? Yeah. Um, So it is quite nice to be able to say, yeah, no, he's not going to start school until he's a little bit older. So I think my son started school when he was five and a half almost oh, which is lovely. which is yeah. later so um yeah i was just like we'll go from there yeah he needs as much help as he can get so it's all good it's all good look i'm gonna let you get on thank you so much thank you My so pleasure. much again for coming on here um and yeah keep in touch thank you thank you very much thanks for listening if you've enjoyed this podcast and you would like to hear more please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. If you would like to support us further, share this episode with your friends and family. And finally, drop us a review on iTunes as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content you want to hear just like this. If you want to check out our past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast, or for links, resources, and show notes, go to our website, www.strongsingleandhuman.com. We are also on all the usual social media platforms, Insta, Facey, and Twitter. I hope you have a wonderful week. And I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one is perfect. We're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast.